Welcome to Christian Life Church Podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. If I'm not careful sometimes, I get a little bit kind of caught up with a very narrow view of God. My life, my problems, my circumstances, the situations that I face can often stop me from understanding the expansive reality that God is at work in our world. And he's doing some amazing things. All over this planet, God is awakening hearts to the truth of Jesus Christ. Is there anybody grateful for that this morning? All over this planet, people are having encounters with the Holy Spirit that completely transform the way they see themselves, the way they see life, the way they see the world in which they're living in. People are finding hope in the most hopeless of situations. Is anybody grateful to God for that? One thing that seems absent in our world at the moment is peace. You look around and it seems that the strife and anxiety and worry and concern in just about every corner of society, we're no longer safe because we have money in the bank or a job or food on our table. It seems like the world has completely beseeched our hearts and anxiety and worry have become, in many ways, the reality of a generation. I think COVID had a lot to do with that. But there are people here today and people all around this world that are encountering the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ, in dreams and visions and encounters. They're experiencing a peace that is so substantially life-changing, they don't have anxiety anymore. They don't have depression anymore. Is there anybody grateful for what God is doing in our world? And you know, I want to say, because for me, sometimes I get so caught up with my own little life and my own little world. This world belongs to Jesus. It belongs to him. Everyone in this world is important to Jesus. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. There's not a nation, not a tribe, not a people, not a place that cannot be touched by the goodness of God. And I'm so grateful grateful that God is alive and well and moving in our world in such a profound way. We have yet to see, I think, the fullness of what that will turn into. We're living in times, I think, which are full of interesting dynamics to them. You know, who would have thought we'd be in a cashless society so soon? Have you noticed? I went somewhere the other day and they said to me, we don't take cash. I said, well, I'll take it for you. <laughs> you know, if it's, if it's going... To somebody, I should have it, I think, maybe. You know, all around these, the Bible speaks of these things. It speaks of times and a season in preparation for the return of Jesus to this world where some of those things that are just happening under the radar of our lives are signs to us that Jesus is nearer than he's ever been. And you know, when he comes this time, he won't be a baby in a manger. He won't be a broken man on a cross. He'll be alive and full of radiance and glory and power and authority. And no one will miss it. <laughs> No one will misunderstand what's happening. And if you don't know Jesus personally, you need to get ready for that. And if you do know Jesus personally, you need to get ready for that. God wants to raise up a church that is radiant and beautiful and spotless without blemish. And that's the work of the Spirit in our lives today. God wants to make us ready for the return of the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how excited you are about that, but if your faces are anything to judge by, not so. Um, but that's where we are and that's what's happening in our world. And uh, my job as a pastor is to get people ready for that. My job is to inform people and to help people see the value of personal preparation for the return of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that I think I've tried to do over these number of weeks, you can be the best judge of that, is I've tried to walk you through, through what I would call some disciplines that our lives really need to orientate our hearts and connect us to the great glorious story of Jesus and all that he's doing in our world. And we've called this whole series, 
spiritual disciplines. And you'll be glad to know that this is the last day that we will be talking about spiritual disciplines. Someone say hallelujah, please. Um, don't say hallelujah. That's not nice. <laughs> you know, this will be the last time we'll talk about spiritual disciplines. But I've saved the best to last. Because I want to talk to you today about the discipline of guidance. Sorry, not guidance. Celebration. I want to talk to you about the discipline of celebration. I don't know if you realize this, but right now in heaven, there's a party going on. If you were to describe the atmosphere of heaven, it's one of celebration. At the center of that celebration and the focus of that celebration and the reason for that celebration is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundations of the earth for the forgiveness of all of our sins. And there's dancing and rejoicing and, and joy is on the lips and the minds and the hearts of every individual in that environment. They are full and overwhelmed with joy. And when we pray this prayer, thy will be done on earth, what we're praying is for that reality to become available to us. We're praying for what heaven has to become accessible to us here on earth. And I want to tell you today that one of the missing ingredients in all of our lives right now, and I think it's as a result of some of the things that's happening in our world, is the wonderful gift of celebration and joy. We have almost forgotten the great gift that God has given us in Jesus Christ. Now let me take you to somewhere that I think begins to describe for us the intentions of God when he came into our world. Go to Luke chapter 2 for me. We're going to read verse 10 together. This is the promised Messiah coming into our world. The long-awaited one who promised to bring freedom and liberty and fullness and blessing to humanity. And in Luke chapter 2 verse 10 it says, the angel speaking to the shepherds on the hill, I bring you good news of great Joy. Why don't you say that out loud? Great joy. Now what this word actually means for us, the word great is actually translated to a word that we would be more familiar with, which is mega. And we use the word mega when we're unable to measure something. You know, when you have no statistics that can really do justice to a sum of something or the total of something, we use the word mega. And the word mega for us is what Jesus is. He is mega joy. Unmeasurable joy. Unfathomable joy. Off the scale by anybody's standards or anybody's measures, Jesus is joy. Now, I don't know what you believe about God, but you need to hear this today. God is not unhappy. He's not miserable. I mean, you might be, but he's not. He is fullness of joy. And that joy creates life. It creates power. It creates a resource to us as human beings. And right in the middle of a bleak time in history... Joy entered our reality. Joy turned up mega joy, outstanding, stunning, without measure or comprehension. Joy turned up in our world. And that joy, the person we know as Jesus, has lived and is living inside of you. He has made your life his home here on earth. Unstoppable joy lives inside of you. 
unfathomable joy is your internal spiritual reality. I'll just keep going till somebody wakes up. Inside of you, if you've accepted Jesus into your life, that which cannot be measured as far as celebration and joy is concerned resides and presides over the internal realities of your heart. And when I think of that, that fills me with hope. Because by default, I'm not that joyous. Now, if you're British here today, hear me out. You were born in misery, you grew up in misery, and misery is now your ministry. <laughs> There's a culture somehow that we've adopted of complaint and grumbling and disquietedness. It's almost like we've been so conditioned to be joyless that when someone like me turns up and say, joy has come, mega joy is available, your new reality is that you can live in the fullness with clarity and certainty that joy is indeed your truest identity, you have a default, and that default is misery. And some of us, we have PhDs in misery. Some of us think we're being really spiritual when we're really cynical. We think that if we complain and we grumble and all of those things, and we don't realize that what's happening in those moments as Christians is we're defaulting to who we were. We are not partnering with who we now have become. And those habits have to be broken. If you want to live in the fullness of Jesus, you need to put off some things and you need to put on some things. You need to get rid of old mindsets and attitudes and cultural norms. And you need to align yourself to the reality of what Jesus has provided for you. Mega joy is available to you today. Nudge somebody and say, I think he might be talking to you. Mega joy is available to you today. If Jesus, the joy giver and the one who is fullness of joy, lives inside of me, I have choices. I can either default to the habits and the conditions of a life that was lived outside of relationship with him, or I can partner with and align my heart to the reality of the one who is joy unstoppable, unspeakable, and unfathomable. I make those choices. They are mine to make. Now... One of my favorite sayings, and I've been dining out on it for a long time, is this. That God has subjected the advances of his kingdom to the partnerships he has with his people. So in other words, mega joy has turned up in your life. But if you want to fully live in that reality, if you want to... Be the kind of person that doesn't just have a theology about God blessing and you want to live in that reality. You are called, as I am called, to partner with the one who is joyous. You are called. Now pay attention to me. Whatever you're going to hear today, this is really important. You get to decide whether you're going to live in your old life mindset or your new life reality. You decide that. You get to decide Am I going to live in joy and fullness and blessing or am I going to live in lack and need and misery and problems? You get to decide that. And I can't decide it for you. I can't change the way you think, but I can offer you an alternative to some thinking patterns that I think are hindering the people of God in this hour. In the book of Acts chapter 2, 
when the Holy Spirit falls upon the New Testament church, what is the demonstration of the evidence of the Spirit's power? Joy. These ordinary men and women are so full of joy, they're experiencing the reality of the person Jesus by the Spirit's power that they fall out onto the streets of Jerusalem early in the day and people are so amazed by this because they think they must be drunk because they're so happy. We will never be accused of the same problem. It's not going to be easy for me to do this to you today, but that is the witness to the city of the presence and the reality and the person of Jesus. And you thought it was something else, but actually the witness to the unbeliever is not how devoted or committed or religious you've become. The, the witness to the unbeliever is how full of joy, how full of the reality of Jesus you truly are. And if it's available, why would you stay in misery? If God has made himself accessible through Jesus Christ in all his fullness, why would you live with lack? Go to John 15 for me, please. So the angels turn up and say, Mega joy has come. Mega joy unmeasurable, unfathomable, off the scale, can't comprehend joy has turned up in our world. And Jesus draws his attention or the attention of the disciples to that truth when he's about to depart from them. And in, in John chapter 15 verse 11, this is what he says. He bestows upon his disciples this invitation. He said, these things I have spoken to you. In other words, You've watched how I've lived. You've looked at how I've walked this earth. You've watched the way I've loved the Father. You've watched the way I've helped the needy. These things that I've spoke to you, I've spoke to you that your, so that my joy, where is the joy meant to be? In you. So when we look at Jesus, who is always perfect theology, who lived in the consistency of joy permanently, even on the cross as he's dying, he's not whinging, he's not whining, he's not complaining, he's worshipping, he's adoring, he's celebrating. Okay, it's, I know it's off the scale for us to think about. Excruciating agony and pain and disgrace publicly. Jesus doesn't open his mouth to say anything negative whatsoever. In fact, he speaks life over other people who are watching the tragedy. Okay, he lived permanently in the reality of the presence of God. He lived consistently connected to the one who was joy himself. No matter what people said, whether they spat on him, whether they scourged him, whether they criticized him, whether they tried to kill him, it didn't alter how he lived his life. He didn't get all caught up with the wickedness of the world. He stayed permanently in the presence and the fullness of the one who was joy himself, which is Yahweh God, our Heavenly Father. And even at his death, he's still full of joy. In fact, this is what it says of him as he arrived in Jerusalem. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So when Jesus is saying these things I have spoken to you, he's saying, read my life. Look at my life. Look at the way I've lived. Look at the way I've acted. This is available to you. And I desire that you live in the reality of my joy. That tells us that God is happy. 
God is a happy God. Now those of you who are thinking he's otherwise, God bless you. But God is not angry with you. He's not disappointed in you. Can you hear me? He never had any illusions in the first place that you were anything other than who you truly are. And he knows you better than anyone else, even yourself. When you think of him, you should think of a happy father, a father who delights in you, a father who rejoices over you with singing. When you think of God, your thoughts should permeate your heart and think it's going to be well for me because my God has shown his favor towards me. When you look at your life in him, remember this, everything he seeks to do is to bring in you and provide for you the joy that was missing in your life prior to you know him. Our God is a God that's full of joy. And Jesus, as he's leaving, says to his disciples who had watched him closely, I long that you may be filled with my joy. Now God's joy is not circumstantial joy. What do I mean by that? Because we leave celebration until something good happens. Don't we? You know, if it's a birthday, we celebrate. Christians are interesting to me because we celebrate the resurrection once a year. But actually today is Resurrection Sunday. You're living in the reality of a resurrected Christ today. Right now, right here. We celebrate the coming of the Messiah at Christmas, but the Messiah has come and he lives inside of you. He's permanently Emmanuel amongst us and with us. We'll have to wait till Christmas comes. He's here. He's here with you right now. We celebrate the fact that Jesus conquered death and sin at Easter time. But actually today, Jesus has conquered death and sin and sickness and disease. And you're living with the one who created that possibility. And that is the fullness of Jesus. And his reality in you is greater than any other reality around you. That's why the Apostle Paul says these words, Greater is he who is in you than anything So one of the hallmarks of somebody who's truly mature in Christ is joy. <laughs> somebody who's walking in the abundance and the blessing that Jesus has provided is not intensity. It's not religious practice. Those are characteristics of somebody who often will become joyless. Because they're trying to attain something by human effort that was given to them purely as a gift of grace. When you know that you know that you know that your God is joyous and happy and he's not trying to expose your weaknesses but he's come to offer you his strengths and his greatness, you start to think differently about the circumstances of your life. And look what he says, the tail end of this sentence. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be where, church? Now, where is that joy? Because for some of us, people say to me, you know, Pastor, I've got joy, but it's deep. <laughs> well, we're going to need an excavation team to find it, I think, for some of us. If there is joy in your life, if the one who is joy-filled and, and, and full of joy lives in your life, look what he suggests should happen. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be where? In you. And that your joy may be complete. So in other words, if I'm truly living in my reality inside of you, 
there will be evidence in your life of my fullness and my blessing. God wants to complete the start and the glorious adventure of producing in you his joy. Where your joy and his joy come into partnership, the kingdom begins to happen. So a lot of people in the church have a theology about joy. They say, you know, God has given us joy. But the evidence of that joy should turn up in your life. And joy does a couple of things for you. It changes your perspective on problems. Joy becomes a strength to you that holds you in the plan and the purposes of God in spite of what's happening around you. Joy is you partnering with the true nature of a God who's not worried about anything. So your anxiety, your problems, your depression begin to fade because the one who is fullness and joy causes those things to be pushed away from the center of your life. Joy is not for the ones that dance at the front or lead the songs. We are all called to live in the abundance of the joy of the Lord. And without it, we are not allowing God to fulfill his desire for our lives, and that is to make his joy the fullness of our joy in our day-to-day living. It's easy on a Sunday, isn't it, when we sing a song to look a little happier. In fact, I think sometimes we think if we sing louder or harder, we're really expressing joy. I think the Bible refers to that stuff as an empty, banging, cymbal, gong kind of stuff. And sometimes you can't manufacture joy because you have decided to sing a particular song. I'm sorry to burst a bubble for you, but there's no impartation available of joy because the one who has imparted himself to you already lives inside of you. What can happen from the environments is it can awaken the joy of the Lord inside of you, but it can't give you the joy. So if you're coming out to the front at the end of the service and you want us to pray for joy, I can't pray for you. I will pray for you, but I can't make joy happen to you. I can take a moment to ask the one who is joy to awaken everything inside of you. And we do this all the time, don't we, in church life? We think, because we're singing a joyous song, that we're actually exemplifying the joy of the Lord. Some are the most hollow, empty, and indeed sad expressions are when we don't really have joy in our souls, but we pretend that we do for all kinds of reasons. And you don't have to pretend because you can have the reality of the fullness of joy living inside of you. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to fake it till you make it. He's already here and he's made it available to you. But we need to learn how to access it. We need to learn how to live in the reality of his presence. Go to Luke chapter 4 for me. Jesus beginning his ministry proclaims a new reality for people. In Luke chapter 4 verses 18 to 19 This is what he says in the temple. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. What Jesus is saying is, if you accept me and you invite me and you embrace me, You will have the reality of jubilee in your life. 
that which used to happen in, in the Old Testament where every number of years there'd be a year of jubilee. That year of jubilee meant the debts that were outstanding were cleared. People who were in slavery were released. People who had lost property through neglect or even problems, that would be restored to them. And every number of years, all that was lost would be given back to the people it was taken from. You know when Jesus came, he took everything that was lost and he gave it back to the people that belonged to him. That should have got you on your feet. Everything that was lost, everything you lost, everything that was taken, every part of your life that was broken, Jesus paid the price for all of that and he now gives you a free gift of celebration and jubilation. You, don't clap, we haven't got time. You should be a walking hallelujah from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. You have been given abundance and blessing and freedom and liberty. You have been given the favor of a God who delights in you. Today your reality is not your misery. Today your reality is that you belong to him and he belongs to you. Your God is with you. Your God is for you. And everything about that invitation needs to our partnership to live in its reality. Otherwise we just sing songs about it. What does joy look like when it turns up in a person's life? The poor receive good news. You ever been poor? There's nothing wonderful about poverty. And if you've had little, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But the good news isn't that you get a bank account full of money. The good news is that God is with you. God is for you. And the abundance of walking with him is greater than all the trappings and paraphernalia that the world could ever offer you. You have riches, you know, that this world does not understand. Peace, joy, fullness, blessing, prosperity of heart and life are all available to the poor in this room this morning, this afternoon. And God wants you to have them. He desires that you live in the reality of them. It says the blind will receive sight. See, when joy turns up, the blinkers get taken off our eyes. When joy becomes a reality for us, we start to see more clearly. Am I preaching to the choir because you're a bit tired today or quiet? But, you know, I will not be put off because this is a message of hope for the church of Jesus Christ. This is the truth that sets captives free. Some of you are captive to an old mindset and an old lifestyle that doesn't exist anymore. And the Son has come today by the power of His Word to set captives free. Who the Son sets free will be free indeed. My goal is that you walk out of here rejoicing in the goodness of God. My goal is that you leave behind some of the misery and you embrace the majesty of the one who has provided the glorious and wonderful new life for you. Hallelujah. It says the oppressed are set free. Has there anybody ever been oppressed here? Anybody ever been oppressed? If you are partnering with misery, you will be experiencing oppression. If you have been partnering with negativity you will be experiencing depression. The Bible teaches us this truth, that so as a man or a woman thinks, they actually end up becoming. And you've noticed, and I'm sure I have too, I have definitely, that one negative thing can become all-consuming in my life. Have you noticed that? You know, I've been in ministry 38 years, not 38 years, 28 years, and sometimes people are kind enough to come up and say, Pastor, that sermon really blessed me. 
Is it 38 years? Goodness me, I should be dead. <laughs> should be dead by now. <laughs> Sometimes it happens. I wish it happened more. I'm not putting it out there for you, but please come and tell me how wonderful I am from time to time. Um, Here's the problem with that. I've noticed something. Five people can say something affirming, but if one person says something negative, have you noticed that in your life? You can be in an environment and people say nice things about you, and one person, you know, there was a lady in Glasgow. um, I think God set her up, set me up with her. She used to say things like this at the end of every sermon. She said, you know, I remember George Jeffries. George Jeffries was the founder of the Ely movement. She said, now... He was a man of God. Thanks. And you know, (laughs) and we could have had the most amazing meeting and people would be blessed, but her, her words, her words hijacked everything. And I started thinking along those lines, and maybe I'm not, and maybe I'm fooling myself, and maybe it's all, you know, fake and false. Do you ever suffer with imposter syndrome? Yeah, Yeah, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe I should go back to singing in the clubs. They wouldn't have me now. I'm too fat and old. But 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 the reality was, one tiny phrase had more power than five people's affirmation. And it got me thinking. I started to think this. The minute I start partnering with the negativity, the negativity begins to invade me. The minute I allow someone's opinion of me, which is fine, we've all got opinion, haven't we? Some of us have more opinions than we should, but we've all got opinions, okay? That begins to infiltrate. If you've got a wounded heart or a heart that's not healed or a heart that's not whole or a heart that's not well, you will allow one person's opinion of your life to rob you of the presence and the blessing and the destiny that God has for you. That's how powerful these things are. So we don't just need to be well. We need to be clear. We need to be clear. Whose report are we going to believe? What truth are we going to buy into? The truth of everybody else or the truth of God himself? So if you're partnering with negative thoughts and, and people are saying things to you, have said things to you. You know, I've counseled so many hundreds, if not thousands of people over the lifetime I've been in ministry. And so often they're trapped in a moment where somebody said something somewhere or did something at some time. And they just can't get free from it. And here's the reason why they can't get free. Jesus is the, the real you know, freedom fighter that we all believe he is, but they have partnered and connected and abided in and resided in the bruising and the pain and the difficulty of that moment. And no matter how many times you stand on a platform and say to people, you know, God is full of love for you. God delights in you. Their truth seems to be far more powerful than the truth of God's word. Because when you partner with something, where two or more agree on something, that becomes the reality. So you be very careful, as I am seeking these days, to not partner with things that are not my reality. My reality is I am free. My reality is I am saved. My reality that's my reality. I am a new creature. Behold, the old is gone and God has made all things new. I'm not this, that, and the other because they said it. I am <laughs> a child of the Most High God. Okay, I've been given a brand new life in Jesus Christ. And I don't have to be miserable. Oh, God, that was a hard one, wasn't it? I don't have to be miserable. I can live in the majesty and the fullness and the blessing of God. But my mind, my mind needs to part partner with that truth. If God 
came into our world and announced himself as the one who brings and facilitates mega joy, tomorrow morning when I get out of bed and have to go wherever I need to go or you need to go, I need to be clear that my body may ache and my soul may be wearied, but my reality is far different than those things. My God is a God of joy and fullness and blessing. On Tuesday when the gas bill comes, because you know they're all checking every meter now before the winter sets in, you're going to be horrified, some of you, of how much you've used. Horrified. When that lands on your doorstep or it comes into your, your mailbox, remember this. Your God has provided already for you fullness of joy no matter what your circumstances are. When you get the diagnosis or somebody rejects you or somebody abandons you or somebody abuses you, that's not your truth. Your truth is the fullness of Christ dwells richly inside of you. He is with you. He is for you. No weapon fashioned against you can prosper. So how do we live in the fullness of that reality? Well, come with me, would you please, to a scripture that I think the Apostle Paul has set before us to help us understand this. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to read from verse 4 through to 9. Philippians chapter 4, it says this, and this is our invitation. Are you ready? It's going to be challenging. Rejoice in the Lord on Sundays. <laughs> Rejoice in the Lord when you get your miracle. <laughs> Rejoice in the Lord when you get your job promotion. Oh, you keep saying it, but are you living it? So what is Paul trying to teach us here? Paul is trying to say to us that at some point in the journey, something's going to happen to you that's not going to be great. And if you think, if you think that you can suddenly manifest joy when you've not practiced or lived in it, you are sadly mistaken. You cannot buy back with one prayer what you haven't invested in for many years. You can't say, Lord, strengthen me with joy when for the last 10 years you've been complaining and whining and whinging in just about every circumstance of your life. You cannot in a moment expect joy to become manifest and real to you when you have not rehearsed it and practiced it and allow your soul to be conditioned with it. And you see, we have to condition our soul, we have to discipline our soul to pursue joy. A couple of years ago, I was somewhere and I had this thought, I get them occasionally, and, and I thought, I wonder if I'm missing something in the way I see my relationship with Jesus. And uh, it, it was... It was a time and a season in my life where lots of challenges were coming and I was trying to stay steadfast with integrity and humility. Have you ever had seasons like that? You're just trying to do what you know is right to do. But I tell you what, it seemed to me like the enemy was encroaching and moving in and taking over certain parts of my life and God began to speak to me about the condition of my soul. And he said, Simon, you can't win a battle 
whenever you've not been trained for war. And, and if I expect in a moment where something difficult happens to me to respond joyously, I am fooling myself because I have not allowed my soul to come into partnership. Remember what I said earlier to you, God has subjected the advances of his kingdom to the partnership he has with his people. Now if I was God, I would have chosen an alternative route, but God always, always partners with people to bring about the purposes that he has for their lives. So if you want joy in a crisis, you need to have joy on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday and a Thursday. And when you're sitting on the seat, on the bus and you didn't get the seat you always sit on, do you choose joy? When you didn't get the car parking space you circled twice for and some Egypt got in before you, you choose joy. Because you're not doing it for them, you're conditioning you. And Paul is saying, live consistently in an atmosphere of joy. Live consistently rejoicing. Live permanently conditioned by the new reality that the joy giver lives inside of you. Keep yourself diligent in joy. Be diligent. Be vigilant. Vigilant and diligent where joy is concerned. Do not let the enemy have a foothold in your life of negativity. Whatever is thrown at you, let your reaction be joy. So we can go back to it and he reinforces it. He says, rejoice in the Lord. One scholar says, in all ways, in all your ways, stay connected to the availability of joy that Christ Jesus has afforded you. Stay connected. Think about that. That means moment by moment, decision by decision, circumstance by circumstance, I have to be trained to live in the new reality that is now given to me through Christ. And that keeps me connected to the one who is joy. And as I am connected to the joyous one, his joy begins to manifest in my life. It's not a quick answer to a lifelong problem. But our souls need to be conditioned to be joyous. Now, I remember one time in Glasgow, um, we had lots of miracles happen in Glasgow. And God did some amazing things. And I just, after a few, because I'm not the sharpest tool in the box, you probably realize that. But after a few weeks, I started to notice something. We'd bring people up who'd been healed and different things. And, and this is what they would say. I said, you know, has God done something for you tonight? Yes, pastor, you know, I came in and I couldn't move my legs. I've had, you know, some form of paralysis and different things. I don't know if it's a trap nerve or what. I said, well, how, how is it? Oh, well, it's a lot better. It's a lot better, but I still have pain. Next person comes up, arthritic problem. I said, you know, uh, when you came here tonight, what was the condition of your arthritis? Oh, all my knuckles were gnarly and distorted, and I've got pain in, in my ankles and, and the joints and my shoulders. I, I said to this lady, on a scale of one to ten, how much better is it? She said, well, it's probably an eight, but I still have a lot of pain. I still have some difficulty. In... Now, I, I began to think, if you went to the doctor and he gave you a pill that made you 80% better, wouldn't you be happy with that? Wouldn't you be telling everybody, gosh, it's remarkable. I took these two tablets and I'm 80% better. Why is it when it comes to God... We are conditioned to discuss and declare what he hasn't done. And we fail to understand what he has done. 
I tell you why, because we have not conditioned our souls to rejoicing. We have not conditioned our souls. We have not partnered with the Holy Spirit to stay connected to the reality, the new reality that is ours, and that is the joyous one is with us. We are still living in an old mindset, though we claim to have a new lifestyle. Rejoice in the Lord. And in case you didn't get it, and again I say, now this is the Apostle Paul who's writing this particular letter to the Philippian church in a jail. This has been penned while he's been tied like a dog to a stake in a jail cell in Rome. And I think it's 42 or 43 times in this letter he uses phraseology about joy and fullness and blessing and praising God. You see, the answer to your breakthrough is you. Jesus has already broken every chain that binds you, but you have to partner in joy and in rejoicing and in celebration. And it takes discipline. It takes a discipline to choose life every time death appears to us. It takes a discipline to choose his promise every time a problem becomes a reality to us. It chooses a different mindset. It requires of us a different way of thinking whenever we find ourselves in all kinds of things. And look what it says here. And the evidence of that kind of thinking and acting and living is that your gentleness will be evident to all. In other words, what's the Apostle Paul saying? If you choose to allow your soul to be conditioned and disciplined in rejoicing, you will have a quietness and a gentleness and an ease to your soul. That's the fruit of that kind of conditioning. You will be gentle. You will have... What is gentleness? It's not weakness. It's meekness. You see, meekness is a wonderful thing. It's, it's, I could change this, but I don't have to because my God is with me and my God is for me. Jesus demonstrates meekness when he dies on a cross. He demonstrates meekness when he doesn't retaliate against people. He demonstrates meekness when he doesn't correct Pharisees and scribes in, and he allows them to have their own perspective. Meekness is strength under humility that at any point you could rise up and change the outcome, but you choose to what? Trust God. Because you have conditioned your soul to believe that he is greater in the sum total of one day in your life than any other thing that could ever come against you. It's so important to understand that rejoicing is not an act we do on a Sunday. It's an orientation of heart that we have Monday through to Saturday. Rejoicing is an inclination of celebrating the reality of God, no matter what the circumstances of our lives. And look what it says there. It's just a tiny little phrase. It says, and it will become clear, what? That the Lord is near to you. It will become clear to everybody if you condition your soul and continue to discipline yourself in rejoicing. It will become clear to everybody that the Lord is with you, that the Lord is upon your life. And then he gives us this verse, and I love this verse. It says, do not be anxious about anything. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to not be anxious about anything? Hello. Would you, would you love to live in that reality? Be anxious about nothing, I think the authorized version says. 
Imagine living a life where you were not anxious about anything. <laughs> it's it's kind of mind-blowing, isn't it? And I think it's mind-blowing because we have been told and taught and trained from the very earliest of ages to be anxious about everything. Some of the last words a parent says as their child goes off to school, take care. What we're saying is, it's a dangerous world out there, and you need to watch vigilantly anything that tries to harm you. Yeah? Why, why do mums and dads stay up late when their kids are out of the disco? Is there such a thing as a disco now? <laughs> Tragedy, when the feeling's gone, I can't... can't. <laughs> Oh, don't laugh at the old man. That's cruel. <laughs> the nightclub. Why do parents stay up waiting? Because they have been conditioned through worry and anxiety to be hypervigilant about those that God has placed in their care. When we send our young people off to university, we say... Don't go to the common room. You'll get caught up with drugs and alcohol and sex. You know, I don't know what common rooms you all went to, but that never happened in any university I've ever been to. Okay, because we think that the world is more powerful than the God that lives inside of our people's lives. We're anxious about everything. Some of you are anxious about getting old. You look in the mirror and you see your mother and... In my case, your father, you're anxious about getting, and you're spending a fortune trying to stay young. A fortune. And I just want to say this to you, because nothing you put on the outside is going to change what's happening on the inside. You just need to know that. Okay? And some stuff is just DNA. It's just DNA. Some people look old before they're old. I, I find now in this stage of my life, people I used to think look old, who are older than me actually, look younger than me. How did that happen? And I've been praying that the Lord would restore the years the locusts have eaten. And the truth is, there must have been 12 swarms after me. That's all I'm saying of locusts. I've aged so dramatically since I've been your pastor. That <laughs> happened way before then, trust me. The, down, the downward spiral existed long before I came back home. But the, but the reality is, you can't do anything about that, but you can be anxious about it. You know the possibility that somebody you love might be cheating? How much time have you given to that thought? Some of you have made a profession of checking text messages, and being hypervigilant about all manner of things. I'm not looking at anyone in particular, but <laughs> should, the Lord, should the Lord be speaking to you? Listen, listen. We have been conditioned in our world to be hypervigilant because we think everything is a danger. I remember a time when kids walked to school. If you ever try to get to the Frederick Road offices around school time, I tell you what, those people would drive over you to make sure that their child was at school. What is going to happen if you're 10 minutes late? What possibly could go wrong? Well, you might kill someone in the event of trying to get your kid to school. Everywhere, everyone is anxious about everything. 
and we have all of this stuff about mindfulness and mental health. Do you know what the key? Do you know what the key to all of this is? Condition your soul consistently and persistently, full of discipline and delight, and rejoice in all things. Rejoice in all things. Allow the reality of the one who is joy. And here's the thing. He goes on to say, if you do have any anxiety, bring your prayer and your petition to God. In other words, offload. Just take the stuff that seems to want to take your heart and drop it at the foot of the cross. And, and the invitation here is to help us understand that we don't have to be anxious, okay, because God is in control. Pause for a moment and think how you would live differently if you genuinely believe that. God is in control. God's got your back. No weapon fashioned against you will prosper. God's got your future. The plans I have for you are to prosper and to bless you. Yeah? God's got your today. This is the day the Lord has made. Listen to the invitation. Let us rejoice. Okay, if I want to access what he has for me today, the key is rejoicing. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I think that this probably, for all reasons, is probably the biggest struggle in most of our lives. And I think we have been taught incorrectly, for whatever reason, that we can somehow access his joy in moments and times of crisis in our lives. And I believe that that kind of turning up of that joy has to happen when we rejoice consistently, permanently, in the reality of who Jesus is. How do we do it? Look at verse 8. Paul is trying to help us live in this joyous reality. He says, finally, brothers and sisters... And I can say to you, finally, brothers and sisters, because we're going to finish in a second. Whatever is true, I, 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 don't, I can't unpack all of this. Time is gone. But if you find yourself unable to rejoice, if you find yourself incapable of rejoicing, it's probably because you've believed a lie. Either about God's nature or the circumstances that you faced or that you may even think at times, and we all think this, I perhaps deserve my life to be this way. And, and while we are conditioning and training ourselves to rejoice, we need also to fill our minds with what is true. What is true about you now? You're a new creature in Christ, the old has gone. Is that true? So when you used to worry and have anxiety, you don't have to have that today. Why? Because greater is he who is in you than he is in this world. You once were an orphan, but now you're a co-heir with Christ Jesus. True. That's true. 
You once lived outside of the benevolence of God, now you're right smack bang in the middle of the benevolence of God. Hallelujah maybe might be worth shouting out. Okay? You once were a sinner, but now you're a saint. Oh, some of you aren't sure about that, but it's the truth. Okay, you may have sinful thoughts, but you have been made a saint by the work of Jesus Christ and his precious blood. You don't have to think like a sinner. You don't have to act like a singer. Singer, a sinner. <laughs> you have a choice to live as a saint. You once were a nobody, now you are a royal priesthood, a holy people set apart for the purposes of God. You once had to control your own destiny. Now there is one who goes before you and prepares a table even in the presence of that which is against you and promises that right in the smack bang in the middle of that adversity, your cup will overflow. So whatever is true is the reality. Whatever is not true is your history. What is true about you today is the favor of God is on your life. He withholds no good thing from you. He delights in you. He rejoices over you with singing. He quiets your heart with his peace and his love. That's true. Anyway. Whatever is lovely. Don't you find there's a lot of unlovely things in the world? You know when the Apostle Paul says that he fixed his eyes on Jesus? I think we have this kind of very tunnel perspective on that. Like somehow in the far off distant horizon, on a spot far away, on a hill far away, there's this person called Jesus and we've just got to keep... But you know, if you look around you, God is here amongst you. You're sitting next to a miracle today. God has changed and transformed a human life. They did not know where to go or how to find peace, but they live in the abundance of that today. You have to open your lens and look for that which is lovely. That is your new reality. That which is horrible was your past reality. You have to look for that which is lovely. And all around you, I call it treasure hunting, you've got to seek out what God is doing. Anyway, have a good week. <laughs> Perhaps you can stand with me. Time has moved quickly. Lord Jesus, we thank you that when you came into our world, you brought your world. And your world is mega joy. When you interrupted what was happening on this planet, you did with a purpose. And that is to fill every space and every heart with that joy. You came on a mission. You came to find and to seek those who have lost their way and lost 
any sense of hope. And you are so good at finding us and seeking us out, Jesus. And if we're here today and we don't know you or have not offered our life to you, it's not because you're not looking for us. Perhaps, Lord God, we need to understand that that's the reason we arrived here today. There's no coincidence in that. We're here because you have orchestrated something or even moved in our hearts to a point where we think it would be a good idea for me to come to a place like this. Why? Because you're the one who seeks. You're the one who searches for that which is lost. You've come after us, Jesus. We don't even come after you. We're not that great at that, even if we understand it a bit. You come after us. And I thank you, God. You come as the joy, fulfillment of every dream in every heart, in every life. You are the answer to every situation, every problem, and every condition and every adversity and everything that is found that is good and lovely and glorious and excellent is you, Jesus. It's you, Jesus. But like others in this room, my life has been conditioned by negativity. It's been conditioned by loss. It's been con conditioned by lack. But Lord, I do not lack any good thing. Your word tells me I lack nothing. Nothing. And Lord, today I want to choose to abide in that truth, not in the truth of my circumstance or my situations or the old habits or mindsets that so often have invaded and continue to invade my life. I want to live in the reality of your fullness. Let the one who is mega joy become manifest in my life to such a point that when people bump into me, it's good that comes out of me, Lord. I pray that you would fill and flood every heart with the fullness of your joy. Let your joy strengthen us so we're not insipid spiritually. Let it, let it bolster and, and supernaturally empower us to live lives worthy of your name, Jesus. Amen. And Lord, in the small, ordinary, seemingly unseen moments where my default would be to choose anything but joy and celebration... Will you teach me your ways, O oh God, that I may walk in them all the days of my life? And may I ask this of you, Lord. Would you build in your church a stronghold of joy? A joy that has a strong hold over our hearts, our minds, and our lives. Would you give us a pressed down, shaken up, and overflowing, manifest joy in our souls? And I can't get it through singing a song. And it won't come to pass because I say a set of words. My soul needs to be conditioned by your reality, Jesus. I need to become acclimatized to fullness and blessing. I need to be orientated to abundance. I ask you, God, that you help me. For I can't and can't really see that without this reality becoming so manifest in us, how the church are going to rise in the days that come ahead. I believe, Lord God, things are going to get worse, but your people are going to get better. I think, Lord God, the world's going to go into chaos, but your people will be caught up with Christ. I believe, Lord God, there'll be anarchy, but where there's anarchy, your church will be living in its glory. The glory that you bestowed upon us, Lord God, through Christ Jesus, his death and his resurrection. And I ask you, Jesus, humbly, as a man standing before these wonderful people, my friends, my family, I ask you, God, that you would do something in this community. This community. We as a people embrace this truth. And we ask, Lord God, that you would make it real for us. I choose life. I choose hope. I choose trust. 
I don't choose anxiety. I don't choose depression. I choose freedom and liberty and fullness and blessing. I set my heart towards celebration. This is the day the Lord has made. I, I, I will rejoice and I'll be glad about it. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a good week.